On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts, hey, they've always got the good oil. Pity you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. Yeah, welcome to Monday's Experts on this Monday. This is the 13th of November. Love this segment every week as it's an opportunity for us to find out a bit about the story behind the name. Last week, of course, being Cup Week is a week that uh, this gentleman, my guest today, is pretty fond of. He's had a wonderful career in the saddle. We can now see him all weekend and most weekends on Sky Thoroughbred Central. I speak of champion jockey Corey Brown, who joins us for a bit of a yarn this morning. G'day, Corey. Morning, Dave. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good to talk with you. Looking forward to this, mate, because some will know your story, some won't. And obviously we see you now providing the tips and information on Thoroughbred Weekly, Sky Thoroughbred Central. So it'd be good to hear a bit about the story behind the name. And I want to take you all the way back to the 15th of June, mate. Tari, Corey Brown enters the world, mate. What was it like growing up around that uh, mid-north coast of New South Wales? Yeah, it was great. I mean, um, country kid at heart. We lived in the Manning River there. Um, yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it, mate. I, I look back on childhood now and, yeah, I had, uh, very fond memories. What about growing up, mate? Because uh, was I, I know the, there was a bit of, uh, you know, riding and blood in the DNA. Obviously, your father and, and grandfather were, were jockeys. But yep. at the time, mate, um, the old man was working at a garage and uh, he was also riding horses for a living. And you had the opportunity to either go into the family business or, or jump on the back of a horse, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, well, it was either change tyres at the tyre service with Dad or, um, yeah, try, try horseback. Um, I wasn't very good at school. I'm dyslexic. and So, yeah, I didn't want to really be at school. Um, although Mum made me, when I first started my apprenticeship, she made me continue on as long as possible in class. Um, but I was sort of torn between the two. Well, not torn between the two. I know which way I wanted to go. I wanted to just get get out and get riding. So, yeah, um, Dad said, so either change tyres or give the give the racing a go. And I said, well, bugger the tyres. I'm not giving them a go. I'll go. I'll go straight to horseback, mate. <laughs> and, and mate, your apprenticeship, Eric Anderson at Kempsey Race Club, mate. So how did? I mean, obviously you're involved with the apprentices these days, and we'll talk about that um, later on in our chat. But mate. Back then, how did you go about getting an apprenticeship? Was it a matter of the old man ringing up a mate and saying, listen, I've got my son here, or, or did you have to go and pitch your name forward? How did it work? No, nah, no, nah, it was a little bit like that, or as far as my father. Um, the, the head steward at the time was an old man by the name of Ralph Newell, and obviously my dad rode under him for many years. Um, so I was, only, I was only a 14-year-old kid when I started riding track work, and it just so happened that as I started riding track work... Um, Mr. Newell told me that I wasn't allowed to ride races until I was 15, and it just started at the uh, four-year apprenticeship. So at the same time, Paddy Payne in Melbourne uh, started under the old rule where you went till you were 21, and he was still an apprentice, outridden his claim, and I was basically coming out of my time at 18 because I started so young. And so Paddy was blowing up that he was still in his apprenticeship because he was under the 21 rule. And um, so, yeah, I, I was lucky enough that my dad sort of um, he was there beside me the whole way, um, teaching me how to ride. So, yeah, I had my first... Um, well, I was an apprentice at Taree. I grew up in Wingham. And I had my first race ride at Kempsey, which it wasn't a great start. The horse um, actually broke a leg and had a fall. So um, my introduction to racing was <laughs> somewhat... Um, yeah, it wasn't great, put it that way. What made you persist with it then? 
because obviously when we when we when we have an experience to start with with whatever we might be doing and things don't land our way we might be thinking oh gee should I have gone another way or or do something different but obviously you persisted with it yeah well, it was funny I mean I was I was in love with racing and what what one of the biggest things for my uh, racing career I think as a young child obviously going to the races all the time but it was the Tui's draft ad with Malcolm Johnson on it. Um, I remember sitting on the lounge, bashing the side of the lounge with one of Dad's whips, watching the Tui's draft ad on TV. So I idolised Malcolm, and that, he was actually he played a massive part in my career later on. Uh, but but yeah, I, I, I was so persistent. Like I actually, when I had the four, uh, the trainer on the Mineral Coast, Ross Stitt, he ran down to the horse because it happened right in front of the winning post. So he was running down and telling me to. Uh, sit on the horse's head because it kept trying to obviously get up but I was trying to get it up because it was getting all, all over my saddle I had a brand new saddle and I just didn't want it to get get, get scratched and dirty so um, yeah mate I was I was pretty keen I got up and rode on the same day I'd run fourth on a horse which ended up being my first winner uh, another square I'd run fourth on him that day but I probably should have won but as you can imagine I was a little bit timid to, <laughs> to, to be doing to be doing it properly what about you? You're travelling across the country. I know you spent a lot of time with Cheers, mate. Uh, some good times yep. there. Travelling nearly every day, going here, there and everywhere. And I know that obviously these days uh, you, you, we see that. I think with Mark Newton, we saw that a lot with young apprentices. Um, you know, go out and spend some time in the country. Maybe it's not as yep. arduous as what you did when you were growing up, but that's sort of where you really learn your fundamentals. And you learn a lot about uh, yourself. And... Yeah, it's like the education of kids... Um, it's come a long way, but I think it's definitely the right way to do it. Like, as far as the kids, when they start out, well, let's talk about Mitch Stableford, perfect example. He um, he was under Mark Newnham's wing, and then um, he learned all, obviously, his trials, and he's, you know, he, he got going in the city, but the, the best thing to do is get out in the country, cut your teeth, you know, like, and actually learn what it's about, you know, get yourself into this, or not that you want to, but you, you know, you find yourself in a lot of situations and you learn very quickly from them. So I think it's the best way to do it. Um, educate in the city until you're ready to go and then get out, get out wide, get out west or wherever you need to go. But just, um, yeah, get as many runs um, under your belt as what you can. And there's no better way than getting to the country to do that. What about uh, yourself though, mate? What were some of the things that you learned early doors? I mean, obviously, because... And I ask this because in situations where you've got, uh, you know, your old man, obviously, as, as someone who had did the profession, I know, and I'm sure there's a lot of sons and daughters out there that listen. There's something about families. Like you, you listen to your parents, but then also sometimes you don't want to listen to them. And, yeah. and, and And you sort of think, oh, mate, what would you know what you're talking about? You know, bugger off. But then if someone else is giving you the same advice... You'll absorb yeah, you that from them because, yeah, because that's not your that's not your blood. Was it a bit the same with you? Like, would your old man sort of pull you aside and say, "Mate, you slaughtered that blah blah blah. You should have done this, this, and this," and you go, "Oh, no, go not no, not not really." No, I, I my, dad, at the time, well, dad, um, he, he was heavy, um, so he didn't ride a lot. And as I started, my dad had just sort of finished race riding, so um, yeah, dad was sort of on the fringe always, not telling me what to do by all means, but I was lucky enough to have a jockey by the name of Shane Arnold. He was the leading rider in our area at the time, and he was really, really good to me. Like He, he, he was the one that was sort of yelling at me. So Dad could see that um, because, you know, he was around the races all the time when I was there. So he, he sort of 
Shane Arnold become my little bit of a father figure. You know, he was always the one telling me. But Dad was always there. Like, I used to ring Dad for advice all the time. And it um, quickly turned around and Dad said, mate, you've ridden, <laughs> you know, like you've ridden a lot higher standards than what I've ever ridden against. So he said, there's no point in ringing me asking about things. But it's just, it's comforting knowing that you've got a family member there to lean on. That's what I found good. What about uh, some of the things you learnt, mate, early doors? about your riding and as you, as you worked your way up through the ranks. And then to, to end that question, when did you come to town for the first time? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say I was a quick learner, uh, but I was very determined in what I wanted to do. Um, I had done first 12 months, obviously, at Taree, and then um, my boss was retiring from training, Eric, and um, everyone thought, that I'd be going to someone like uh, Ross Stid or Neil Godbolt at Port Macquarie or one of the leading trainers in the area. Uh, but I'd gone out and searched my own um, path and got myself down to Gosford to Bob Law, uh, trainer there at the time. And I was only there for about three or four months and Malcolm Johnson grabbed me one day and said, mate, um, I want you to come to the city. And I said, well, mate, I've never been to the city, you know, so... I don't know anyone to go to. And he said, so Malcolm basically organised it all very, very quickly for me. So within weeks, I was down at Neil Campton's. I, I, I think I got there way too soon. Um, I, I'd only ridden, I would say, total of probably 30 winners, mm. 35 winners or something when I arrived into Sydney. Um, took me 12 months to outride my claim. I'd done that six months before my apprentice suspended. So I, um, I, I picked up pretty quick. I was from just being really really keen and eager like I said and rushing it but I was always looking at Malcolm Johnson and um like the likes of Darren Beeman and you know I was I I, I ended up driving them mad that's I, I wanted to learn that much I I drove a lot of jockeys mad because I was full of questions and that's what I try to explain to the kids if you're willing to ask now a lot of jockeys will give you their time anyway like I was always giving the young kids my time but I said some of those you know the good name jockeys, I said, the moment you approach them, I said, they're all approachable, but the moment you approach them and ask for help, I said, I can guarantee that they'll turn around, they'll just give you their help, you know, like every time they see that you need a hand or with something. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how to say what I learnt, but put it this way, I, I, I wasn't backward in going forward. I, I always wanted to, to ask questions. We're chatting with Corey Brown this morning on Monday's Express. Well, Corey... Has Malcolm ever told you why he pulled you aside and said, "Mate, let's you know, let's get you down to Sydney"? What did he see in you? Uh, it was actually how things fall into place. Like you look back at it, it was it, what, what actually happened. I picked up a ride. Dean Tanty was meant to ride a horse for Neil Campton at um, Cessnock, and it was called Zamzina, and it was over like twenty two hundred or whatever it was. It was a long distance race, and. Dean Tanny broke his wrist a couple of days before, so I got put on this horse and blowing me own trumpet, but I give it a great ride. Um, I threw it over the line, and, yeah, Malcolm rang me that afternoon because he was obviously watching the horse because him and Neil were best mates, and he watched the horse run at um, Cessnock, and that's when he, he, he rang and said, mate, I want you to come to the city. He didn't say you are too good to be where I was. He just said, mate... You know, like, you ride really, really well. I want you to come to the city. And so, yeah, the rest is history. He dragged me down to Sydney to Neil Campton's, and, yeah, I am where I am now. And what was it like then? Because you were just telling us before about you were watching a Tui's ad. 
with yeah. Malcolm on, and then the bloke's ringing you saying, come to town. That must be really yeah. quite surreal. Well, it's funny because when I first started my apprenticeship, there's a jockey who I'm still quite friendly with. His name was GJ Coleman. He was actually one of my dad's best mates. But he had a, um, like a saddlery shop in Taree as well. So we'll go into the Grafton two-day carnival, and I, I obviously I didn't have any rides. And Graham said, mate, could you come up for the couple of days and sell the race gear in the jockey's room while I'm riding? I said, yeah, that'd be great. And I'd never had the pleasure of meeting Malcolm. And we were at Grafton, and the next minute, Malcolm Johnson walks in the jockey's room. Mate, I was just besotted. I just sat there for the two days just staring at him and, you know, like stargaze. I just I couldn't believe that I was in the same room as Malcolm Johnson. And when we come home in the, on the trip on the way home, GJ said, oh, what, what gear did you sell? And, you know, who to? And I, I mate, I, I, I was that starstruck by Malcolm. I, I forgot to even write down the gear that I was selling. I was basically just giving the gear away. I was <laughs> in my own little world. So, yeah, and, like, we become great mates. Like, when I got to, to Neil's, like, again, I was always leaning on him, asking questions, and we become quite friendly. And to this day, um, we're still great mates, so. It's sensational. Mate, um... Great uh, to chat with Corey Brown this morning on Monday's Experts. Uh, Corey, so you're riding in Sydney. Let's talk about some of the bigger opportunities and the bigger moments that you've had in career in your career. Now, yep. you've gone through your stats. Um, how many Group 1s was it? It was over 49 or was it 49 bang on? No, it was 49 bang on here in Australia, but it's uh, 52 in total. Um, 52. Singapore, I rode, yeah, I rode three in Singapore as well, so... So, some significant wins. Obviously, you won the Cup twice, shocking and rekindling. I'll talk about them. You won yep. the uh, Lightning on Apache Cat, Terra Vista. What a good horse he was for Joe Pride. You run yep. uh, Doombin Cups, Kermore Classics, AJC Derbies, Turnbull Stakes, um, Blue Diamonds, Epsoms, 10,000s, TJ Smith, Crown Oaks. Would your yep. top four be, and not in any particular order, but obviously shocking would be dear to your heart. Apache Cat looked a beauty for you. Um, yep. I loved watching you ride Erriman. Gee, he was a good horse. He was a good horse, and it was funny how that one came about as well. I was sitting in the jockey's room uh, before the um, Rosehill Guineas. It was that, well, like a couple of weeks before the Rosehill Guineas, and Zach Purton actually rode him and gave him an awful ride at Ramwick. And before he'd even got back to unsaddle the horse, I'd grabbed Alan Denham out the front of the jockey's room, and I said, I'll, I'll ride that horse from here on in. And, um, yeah, I should have won a triple crown on him. I won, obviously won the Rosehill Guineas. Um, in the Canterbury, Canterbury Guineas, I, I run second on him, but it was, he was on the fence, and the horse that grabbed him late was out wide, and I don't reckon he's seen him coming. But And then he went on to win the um, the derby with ease. So he was a very special horse. Apache Cat, you know, his name, you know, everyone knows Apache Cat, but he was he was good to me as well. I, I got the ride on him, and... My first five rides on Apache Cat were all Group 1s, five Group 1s straight on him. So he will always hold, you know, like, you know, a special spot on the mantelpiece. Um, obviously, shocking. Shocking was good because I'd run such a close second the year before on Bower and beginning to think that, you know, I'd never, you know, get get one under me belt. And then to come out the very next year after Bower and win it on Shocking was a massive relief, um, a huge thrill. Um, and then, obviously, rekindling years later, uh, that was good because I just had the whole the whole family, all the girls there, to enjoy the moment with me. So, yeah, they're all special. 
I guess it's hard because you've ridden, you know, good sprinters, good distance horses. But what, in your mind, is the best horse you've ever ridden? Uh, exceed and excel. He um, obviously we didn't get to see the best of him because he was he was bought and um, taken to stud. But yeah, he was he was just like he, you'd think he was at his top, and you you give him a go, like you give him a squeeze, and he just he dropped to the ground like a fast car and just go again. He's, he was pretty, yeah, he's electric to ride, but as far as um, sprinters go, I definitely exceed and excel. As far as stayers, yep. um, I'm going to say shocking because not not his Melbourne Cup win, it was still good, like it was great because he sat three deep and never got cover until about the 900. But then um, his Australia Cup win, um, if you've ever watched that, that was massive. He come from last in the Australia Cup um, to win that. So he, he's probably the best day that I've ridden. And, Corey, what about, obviously, we talk, we're talking about the, the great stuff in racing, but obviously then you've had injury um, and you've, you've had your, your fair share of, you know, um, nuts and bolts put in you. I mean, how yep. tough was it to, to go from such a high position in, in terms of the Australian riding ranks, getting good opportunities, riding good horses, to then obviously... You know, having a situation where some days I'm tipping were very, very tough because you weren't at a racetrack and yeah. um, mentally probably the toughest you've ever you've ever dealt with. Yeah, it was it was at, it was a hard time. Like it, because I didn't, you know, like and it's perfect at the moment, Damien Oliver. You know, like saying goodbye like he is, and you know, I never got to you know leave on my terms. So that was really, really hard because I was always really determined to ride again. Um, but then when they said I had to have the second operation, and that, um, yeah, that it's, I, I don't know, it's it's really hard to explain when you've had something, you know, so good for a long while, and then to just have it snatched away from you. Um, but, you know, every time I go to complain, like, I always think of Ty England or, you know, someone, you know, like the, the ones that are, you know, not as fortunate as what I was, yeah, I've got... I've got 30 centimetres of rods and 16 screws holding it all together. But, again, I, 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 uh, I thank me lucky stars. So, but it was a bit of pill to swallow. Um, but then, like I said, when I do go to complain, I look back on the career that I've had, the winners that I've ridden and the people that I've met along the way. And I say to the kids, mate, if you, could, if you can do half of what I've done, mate, you'll have the ride of your life. What do you say to some of the kids that we've got coming through the system now? And, and is it something that you're concerned about, mate, for the future? I mean, obviously, we've got a great little setup at the moment where you can be there. We've got that TAFE situation at Scone. But yep. um, I remember Huey Bowman saying this to me once. Uh, you know, obviously, when he was growing up, a lot of the stuff that they did on properties was all horseback or, you know, horses mm. were prevalent. But now yep. everything is... You know, you get on the quad bike, get on the motorbikes. It's um, yeah. become that. And and so whilst you've got the kids that are going to pony clubs here and there, you're also not seeing those sort of young blokes that maybe aren't interested in pony club being mm. in and around horses as much. Do you see it as a bit of a concern down the track? Do, you, do, do we need to be, what do we need to be doing to make sure that kids know that, hey, there's this trade that you can do where you can make a yeah. lot of money but also have a lot of fun? Yeah, it's, it, and you're right, Dave, it's... It, the landscape's totally different to what it was when I started. Like, um, you know, like I was riding sheep at the age of bloody four, mutton busting and, you know, um, doing the potty calf ride and stuff like that. But, yeah, and nowadays, like, 
kids are on motorbikes or, you know, skateboards or stuff like that. And you can see it's, um, like, obviously the girls have got a, a mad love for the for the ponies and stuff. That's why I think, as far as the pony clubs go, um, you know, or even the academy, it's, it's sort of 80% girls coming through the system now. So I don't know how to change it. We've, we've spoke about this at length before, you know, whether you get to the skate parks and try and pick out the kids, you know, that are tiny or, you know, like, maybe through the schooling system a bit more, you know, put it out there. Like I know Dan Power and Stu Rich and that are doing a great job. They have them days where they, you know, take the kids around um, and show them, you know, what it's not just about riding a horse, you know, like just get involved in the racing game in general. So they they are trying to, to thicken up the um, the crew coming through. But it's, yeah, it's, it's hard because like everything, um, it, the, everything's changed a lot, you know, so... But to put your finger on it and just say, hey, this is how you can do it, it's a, it's a really hard question because, like, kids, when I, I couldn't stand to be inside. I hated being inside. You know, like, my, yeah, like, I, mate, the moment the sun was up, I was out. So for these kids these days, like, they would sit on the lounge with a computer in hand or, you know, it's, it's technologies, you know. Yeah, mate, I, honestly, it's, it's a great question. And if you can yeah. ever work out the answer... Let me know. Well, 100%, because it is something, you know, like, as I said, uh, that's, that's interesting. And, and I think the other thing, too, that's interesting about it is, especially with our sport, what I've, just from doing these type of interviews and, and chatting with young apprentices coming through, some have never even been around a horse. So it's no. not necessarily always just about people that are involved with horse or pony clubs. And, and yeah. also, too, then you might think to yourself, oh, well, you know, if you're, you, know, you have to be a gun athlete. Um, some aren't gun athletes. Some have never played footy or never come through that sort of way. So it is one of those sort of sports and one of those professions that you don't need. You, you no. can learn. It's something you can learn. And obviously a, a lot of learn and experience comes with it. But it is, yeah, a million-dollar question. Does it worry you? Yes, it does. It's um, it is quite concerning. Yeah, like you know, because it's I don't know. Like it's yeah, like because I see the kids all coming through. I've done done two years, and like yeah, there's some great riders. But I, I think back to when I was an apprentice, and the stuff you know, like uh, again, it's just a really hard question. I don't know how to sort of figure it out. But um, yeah, we 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 definitely got to keep our finger on the pulse. I know that, and try and try and work it out. What about Corey? Uh, again, we're chatting with Corey Brown this morning on Monday's Experts. Where's the best best joint you've ever ridden? Best track doesn't have to necessarily be where you you rode all the winners, but where's the one place where you've just ridden and gone? Wow, what an experience! Like like when you ask footballers, you know the best stadium they've ever played at, or the you know the the best atmosphere. Um, this is going to sound really really weird, but the best track I've ever ridden on as far as like just the experience of doing it was the straight two mile gallop at Shantee through the really? forest. <laughs> it's a dirt track but um, it was the old road apparently that the, the tin used to enter the city from or wherever it was and it's from the chateau there at um, Shantee yep. and it was just, just absolutely amazing like to, to gallop through the forest like that and um I mean, I've ridden on some great tracks. Obviously, Ascot, um, uh, Flemington, you know, Chartin, and they're all different. They're all unique. Uh, like even Happy Valley, it's um, you know, it's just hard to ride, but just challenging, which I loved. 
um, I, obviously, I love Rose Hill and Ranwick. I'm a Rose Hill boy, but yeah, I, I, I think if we're going to put it down to things like that, like I, I you know, obviously rode a lot all over the world. Um, I didn't get to America, but I rode in I think 14 different countries. But um, but yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I love that. I love that gallop. I always think about it at Shantee. We always talk about you know these days you know J Mac, Ollie Nash, uh, Damien Lane, Mark Zar. You came through an era where there were some pretty tough blokes in that jockey's room. Uh, you've what had R.S. Die, you had Malcolm Johnston, um, Kevin Moses. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not even scratching the surface here. Beadman, who who was the most uh, miracle? Who was the most uh, uh, ruthless when it comes to to being out there? Like, oh, I'm not talking about ruthless off the track. But yeah. I'm talking about the the competitor, the, the one bloke that you ride, rode against anywhere in the world that just wouldn't give you an inch. Um, Dazza Beaven. Yep. Um, love him as a mate. Um, I learned a lot from him. It was like old bull, young bull when we used to ride for John Hawks and share the riding, and it was just I learned so much off him. But Daz wouldn't give you an inch, whether it was at a you know in a Gosford maiden or a, obviously a Group One race at Ramwick. He um. He always was that consistent, um, hard rider that just, yeah, there was ne- it was very hard to outsmart him. Um, when you did, you let him know. But he, for me, as far as the competitor goes, Darren Boomer would have to be the, the best competitor that I've ridden with. Yeah. And, and why do you think that with Darren? Is there something, um, you know, you can sort of, you know, you, because you've become mates and you can you sort of say, well, no, it doesn't surprise me he's like that. What, what was it about him? That made him so good. Um, oh, he, he was just, yeah, he's just so competitive. Like he, he was just great, but he, he knew every jockey, and that's one thing I try to, you know, teach the kids. I said you've got to watch, watch what other riders do and learn them, you know, because you compete with them so often. You, you've got to know them so well, and that's what I think Darren was so good at. I think he just knew every jockey that he was competing with so well. You know, and what what he could make them do for him, or whatever it was. But he was just, yeah. What watching him, you know, at his best, he was just a freak. But I think it was just how it, it didn't matter again whether it was the the smallest of races or the biggest of races. Um, he was always ultra consistent. You know, um, throughout whatever race it was, he was just bang on every. He was very very sharp. He was very good. What's it like being a granddad, mate? I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, obviously, being a jockey, you don't, you know, you're you're away from home a lot, so you don't get to spend a lot of time with the kids, and you, you know, the sacrifices you make, you miss out on a lot. So this time round with the grandkids, um, yeah, I, I absolutely love them. I, I love that I can give them back as well. Once you rev them up and get them all sparked <laughs> up and good to go, you can hand, hand them back. Hand them but back. Um, yeah, but I, I'm loving being a grandfather. It's great. Before I let you go, mate, and it's been a pleasure to chat with you this morning, I always end these Monday's Experts chat with this one question. Mate, what would an 18-year-old Corey Brown, or what would you say to an 18-year-old Corey Brown if he was standing in front of you? What advice would you give him? Um, just keep, just keep, I don't know how to say it, but just follow your dreams. Keep following your dreams, mate, because they're, they're achievable. Um. Yeah, if I could have me time again, there wouldn't be a lot that I'd change. But, yeah, just, just keep chasing your dreams, mate. Anything's possible. I love it, mate. 
So good to see you on the on the box every week. You're doing a fantastic job there, keeping Radley and Duff on their toes, mate, which is good. <laughs> and uh, look forward to continuing to see you, mate, on Sky. And, and thanks so much for having a yarn with us. Good on your day. Thank you, mate. Cheers, mate. Corey Brown this morning on Monday's Experts.